This is it right here. Combining a team of reporters, columnists, and commentators. Don't you ever talk about me! Are you serious? Jack Ebling has brought thought-provoking discussion. What are you doing? That's a damn coaching mistake. Opinion. The customer is the one who decides when the future gets here. Oh, no! The ship is on fire! You have to check the report. Are you kidding me? That game was fixed. And overall infotainment. I'll take Jim Harbaugh. What has he done? Crazy cooter coming at you. <laughs> Quiet, please. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Thanks, big fella. Don't you ever come back here again. No arguments. Those are called ass tunes. So buckle up. You talking to me? Whoa! It's time for The Drive with Jack Ebling. Yeah, for some reason or another... You sound a little taller on radio. Great afternoon, mid-Michigan and beyond, and welcome to The Drive with Jack. It is a Spotlight Radio Network. Jack Eblin here with my producer, Rob Bennett. Rob, busy, busy week, a short week. Three days before Thanksgiving. Holiday week, we'll, yeah. Yeah, we will not have live shows Thursday or Friday, but try to make up for it in the next three days we want to start with. One of my favorite media guys, absolutely, uh, someone I worked with closely at the Lansing State Journal, had the privilege of doing a book with him, and now taking great pride in all he is accomplishing uh, for The Athletic down in Tennessee, covering the Titans, the Predators, college sports, you name it. want to welcome in Joe Rexroad. Joe, how are you? I'm great, Jack. Thank you for the kind words, and it's, uh, it's great to be with you guys and hear, uh, hear your voices. Well, uh, you are back here for more than just seeing a Michigan State basketball game, right? Uh, your son is a Michigan State freshman, and uh, you've got some transportation duties coming up, right? Are you leaving today, tonight? Yeah, uh, in the morning. So, yeah. So, uh, um, okay. he, luckily, you got a nice class cancellation Wednesday, so that's <laughs> nice. But, yes, uh, <laughs> we'll get out of here in the morning. <laughs> Well, what were the odds that we'd be talking about football in the state of Tennessee when the Vanderbilt Commodores, on a winning streak and uh, pretty good performances, actually, meanwhile, Tennessee, number five team in the country, only gives up 63 points and loses its star quarterback? <laughs> Oh, incredible. I mean, you know, 10 days ago, I would have told you Tennessee will beat Vanderbilt. I don't know what 52 to 10. I mean, name your score, you know, yeah. How, yeah. how mean do they, do they want it? Do they want style points like they did against Missouri and go for 66? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> by the way, you know, cause transitive football is always, you know, always ironclad. Uh, right. Tennessee scores 60, 66 on Missouri. South Carolina scored 10 on Missouri uh, two weeks ago and six on Florida last week and scored 63 on Tennessee. So <laughs> it's uh, it's crazy. But, yeah, I mean, Vanderbilt with two SEC wins after losing 26 straight. Um, and, you know, Josh Heupel's done really good work with Tennessee, obviously. Yeah. Um, even to get them where he got them this year, huge disappointment. But he, he's done very good work in a short period of time. It's his second year. But I tell you what, the situation Clark Lee inherited at Vanderbilt, uh, yeah. uh, still still much different from, you know, just in terms of the talent on hand. And he has them within a win of a bowl in the year two, which I absolutely would have laughed at anyone who suggested he'd get it to that. So 
it's interesting. Both of them, I think, are doing very good jobs in their second year. One of them, you know, it's almost kind of snuck up on all of us here in the last couple of weeks. This is going to sound like a ludicrous question, but, you know, that's my specialty. Uh, <laughs> which coach in the state of Tennessee has done a better job this year, uh, Clark Lee or Josh Heupel? Well, it's funny, Jack, you said that because I, I threw that exact thing out today on, on my show in Nashville, and it, it, it again, it would have been – I mean, Josh Heupel was probably favorite for national coach. Yeah. I would say before the Georgia loss, right? I'd say he was yeah. probably yeah. – he was a favorite for national coach of the year, Hendon Hooker, favorite for the Heisman Trophy. Um, and I got to say, it's it's worth a discussion. I mean, I guess I'd still look at Heupel and say, you know, they had this NCAA stuff. They had 30-plus uh, defections. Um, and, you know, really for a, a few years there – they, they were they were splitting with Vanderbilt anyway. So, you know, I think he dealt with a more severe, um, the more severe circumstances. And obviously, you get a team to the point where he got them beating Alabama. That's pretty special. But Clark Lee again, it's just a different kind of challenge. You're talking about massive fan apathy, a stadium that, um, you know, is going to have more of the opposing team's fans most Saturdays. That's, you don't have that problem at Tennessee. You got a you know, you got a huge right. passionate fan base. Vanderbilt has a so you're dealing with the apathy aspect of it too. Um, so it, it's a very good question, and I honestly think it's pretty close. Uh, Joe, everyone knows I'm a fossil. How old are you? <laughs> well, I'm actually 50 in a little more than a month. So, so there you go. All right, give us a big reason to celebrate <laughs> up here. Uh, at 49 plus, uh, I don't know what the uh, genetics are in your family. Do you think you'll live long enough to see Vanderbilt win an SEC title in football? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, that's, just, that's so far away. You know, the, the, the funny thing about Vanderbilt is, Vanderbilt could be Northwestern. I've always believed that Vanderbilt could be Wake yeah. Forest, Duke, and and maybe they will be. You know, yeah. maybe they will be. But 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 still, with and, North, and I know Northwestern got to a Big Ten title game, yeah. and they yeah. did win. They want they did win some titles. You know, going back a bit, right? Um, right. But but I yeah. just I, I mean, are they are they going to win one any any time any decade soon? You know, like the way things are now. With the way the talent, the high-end talent is just being condensed, you know, at certain places, yeah. I just, I, I, I just, I think it's a different situation. So no, I do not at all expect that, no matter how long I live in my lifetime. But you know, <laughs> seven wins, eight wins, or regular trips to bowl games—that's kind of that's kind of your ceiling there. So, which team is the second best in the SEC this year? Uh, is it LSU? Lost badly at home to Tennessee. Uh, lost to Florida State. Kind of gave a game away. Uh, a little bit fortunate. Uh, made that two-point conversion play. It was a big call there uh, by Brian Kelly. But uh, is it LSU? Is it Alabama, which lost two games on the last play, uh, both on the road? Or is it still Tennessee? Well, I think now with Hendon Hooker out, I would take Tennessee out of that. Now, look, I I will tell you this that Joe Milton. There's some Tennessee. 
Well, there was some Tennessee co- – I've been told by people on that staff, he uh, – and, again, I know this isn't news to you because it's been the, – the hype and buzz around him has been there since he was at Michigan. I've been told – this could be – I've been told this is the most talented quarterback I've ever seen in my life, period. Like, it's the, the, period. The most talented quarterback I've ever seen in my life. Like, number one overall pick talent. It's amazing. Wow. And, of course, my thing is – yeah. Right, but you have to you have to deliver the ball accurately. You have to make yeah. quick, good decisions. You know, they yeah. think he's coming, and they think he's going to be really good next year. So we'll see. Uh, but right now, without Hooker, who of course took that job from him last year when Milton got a little bit banged up, uh, I would probably go Alabama. Honestly, it, yeah. you know, it's been a disappointment for them this year. But like, look, I think I'm not sure Bryce Young. I'm not sure there's a better football player than Bryce Young in the country. Yeah. He's been betrayed by his receivers this year. They yeah. just they don't have the receiver collection that they thought they were going to have. Um, and Jameer Gibbs also, by the way, is absolutely ridiculous. Their defense has been, you know, not great and certainly was just just annihilated by Tennessee. But, yeah, I think I'd go there. I mean, LSU's gotten better. They would not get blown out right now, I don't think, by Tennessee. Yeah. But, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's Bama. You have probably seen more game action with Joe Milton than uh, any SEC scribe. Uh, I remember when he was supposed to be a Heisman front runner at Michigan because he was breaking down game film in the offseason with Don Brown. Now, those two guys <laughs> are both so long gone. That's like multiple uh, DCs ago. And the last time I saw Joe Milton in a game up here, uh, he was outdueled by National Quarterback of the Week, Rocky Lombardi. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, I think I, I think in that game, didn't he, did he, did he like break his thumb in that game? And, you know, we found out about it later. I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, yeah. No, look, it's and that's the thing. Like last year, so you know, Narduzzi brings the Panthers in, and I, I still talk to Narduzzi, you know, quite yeah. a bit, and uh, you know, and and. It was it was exactly. I mean, they had, you know, you know how Narduzzi likes to play. He says, "Go ahead, oh, yeah. throw it over the top and beat us. Throw it, throw it. You better throw it exactly right." I mean, I think he missed like five wide open bombs in that game. Oh. <laughs> and they they still and then and then he got hurt. He had like a sixty yard run. He got hurt. Hooker came in, almost let him back, and then basically that was it for Joe Milton. But um, yeah, it's. You know, he's played garbage time this year and has actually been great, but I, you know, it's garbage time. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it means, but I was really surprised that he didn't transfer last year, but he looked at it like, you know what? Get better for a year and have one more year of eligibility in 2023 as a, I think he'll be 25 and, uh, and see what you can do. There's still people who think, you know, he's, he's going to be drafted. So we'll see. The oldest college quarterback in the country, not at BYU. I think that's uh, Joe Milton's <laughs> claim to fame. He's Daryl Bevel. Non-winky. Non-winky yes. division, yeah. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. <laughs> We're talking with Joe Rexrode of The Athletic. And, Rob, no truth to the rumor that Joe is now part of the college football playoff committee. Uh, that has not happened hmm. yet. But if you were, if you had some input on this, which four teams would you like to see in the college football playoff? If you're saying who should be the top four now or who would I want to see in it, there's a different thing. I think, I, I think I'd think i like to see USC in it. 
you know, because Caleb Williams is electric. Um, yeah. You know, obviously Georgia, I think, is clearly the best team. And, you know, it gets – it gets. I guess I'd probably say Michigan and Ohio State, and get. T- I, I hate to be like anti TCU because I like them. It's a great story, and yeah. they actually have. I think the Big Twelve is pretty good this year. I really do. Yeah, I do too. But you Better know, it's, the Big it's, Ten. Well, yeah, I so think top pro- heavy. Really, only has three teams, Joe. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like when you talk resume. I mean, especially with Michigan, the non-league. I mean, that's where it could really yeah. bite them. If, if they lose this game, I think I think there's yeah. a good chance they don't get in. But but if you yeah. ask me who I'd like to see, I think that'd be it. I think it'd be USC, yeah. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, I am unusual in a lot of ways, but one of them is uh, I think that conference championships matter. It's uh, So did Bill yeah. Schembechler, by the way. And I think that if mm-hmm. you are an undefeated conference champion power five conference champion you are so in uh, yeah there's there could be no way that a 13 and O tcu playing uh decent competition in that conference should be left out of the playoff and i would think that if you look at a one loss usc now that hasn't happened yet they have to beat notre dame and uh, they would have to win the pac-12 championship game in vegas but if they get in uh, unless the Michigan-Ohio State game is decided by a point in double overtime, uh, I just don't see the strength of schedule there for Michigan. Uh, and I think they should be penalized to some degree for making those choices in the non-conference. Uh, you know, I saw Alabama go play at Texas and then uh, play the road games they did. So uh, you don't have to dodge everybody. And they say, well, you know, some teams back out. I, I get that. But to me, USC uh, lost by a point at Utah on one yeah. of those uh, two-point conversion choices by Kyle Whittingham. So, uh, you know, I, I think that four conferences should be represented. No, listen, first of all, I totally agree. TCU's in. If they, if they went on, they should be. Absolutely. And I'm with you. I mean, if USC – Follows up the, the UCLA win by beating Notre Dame, which now is a quality win. Notre Dame has, yeah. has restored that, and then you what they do to Clemson? you beat a yeah, absolutely, and then you beat a uh, you know a good team in the Pac-12 title game. Um, I, I think I think that team would be very hard to keep out, and I'm with you. I think I think conference championships should be tiebreakers essentially, and that's that's how it's been communicated in the past, you know. And I think yeah. that's if it's close and someone has that to offer, then I think that that should push more to the top. So I think if USC and TCU don't lose from here, I think they're both going to be in. Then, you know, the Michigan Ohio state winners in uh, Georgia, you know, I, I just, I have a hard time buying LSU beating them. And honestly, even if LSU does beat them, I, now that could make it really interesting. If LSU beats Georgia, Oh boy, would that be interesting? But, you know, I think they'll probably, handle it and then that probably leaves the michigan ohio state winner out ohio state would have it like you said would have a better argument because of the win over notre dame than michigan which is it just i mean that that is going to cost you if it comes down to some of these comparisons what is a bigger surprise to you uh tennessee uh getting eviscerated in columbia south carolina uh michigan state being outscored 32 to 7 after the break, by the losingest team in college football history, the first one to get to 700 losses, and and the team that only had seven <laughs> passing yards 
in the first 60 minutes, or the Detroit Lions winning three in a row and amazingly going from uh, <laughs> Dan Campbell can't coach to can they make the playoffs? <laughs> well, I'll go with Tennessee, um, but the other two, that's a very good question. You know, the, the Michigan State game, my goodness, what, what a debacle. Um, yeah. I mean, they're not very good, as you know. So, you know, but, but just the weirdness that was required and the inability to hit an extra point to win a game. And like you yeah. said, seven pass yards, that's just astounding. The, 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 see, the Lions thing doesn't surprise me, though. That, that's easily third for me because – what I I said this I make fun of the Lions a lot on my show. It's just it's one of my yeah. favorite things to do. I said yeah. what this means is that Bryce Young and or C.J. Stroud are going to be like all time great quarterbacks because the Lions aren't going to make the playoffs. They're just messing around with their draft position, <laughs> and so now they're not going to get one of those guys, and one of them will be amazing. That's, that's all it means. There, there's something that can explain this in the universe out there. So that's my explanation. <laughs> uh, you talk about the Michigan State game, and you know you. Outgain a team, five forty to two eighty eight, and God. you have everything conceivably pointing toward a big victory, not just a win. And uh, between two long kickoff returns and an interception deep in your own territory and horrendous kicking game, uh, you managed to gag it away. Uh, do you know Brian Bemis from your time here? Do you know who that is? He's an area. You know, I do. You know, okay. Yeah. yeah, I know yeah. that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Handicap golf pro. Uh, spectacular uh, story. Anyway, just competed in the uh, uh, Adaptive Games uh, U.S. Uh, National Championship for golf. So uh, he was talking last night that he could kick a 30 yard field goal. And I said, uh, you know, well, a lot of people kick a 30 yard field goal. He says, yeah, but with one leg. He's only got one leg, and he yeah. thinks he could kick better <laughs> than Michigan State's kickers. You might be right. Oh my goodness! I mean, college kickers—you know—that's a thing for sure, and a lot of a lot of programs know that pain. But <laughs> I mean, that's a that is a different level altogether when you uh, set it up at the whatever they were—the five. <laughs> my yeah. gosh! Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing, as you know, Jack. I mean, Michigan State's history. What I mean. Yeah, you know, I I don't know how it compares with the best, but they've had a lot of really good kickers over the years. You know, yes, even when they've yes. had some not great teams, they've had great specialists. And uh, right. here's another re- example of why you cannot mess around with that. You've got to be vigilant and have yourself a kicker. And especially, Joe, if you're going to play as many close games as Michigan State is likely to play, Mel Tucker, in his tenure at Michigan State was 10-0 and 0 in games decided by 10 points or less. Not so good in the ones that were decided by 11 or more, but in the games decided by 10 points or less, he was perfect until he tries that uh, 23-yard field goal. And, you know, and uh, just a matter of hanging on, you could almost feel that somehow Indiana was going to win. And we ran video last night on Press Pass of Tom Allen, and uh, you thought he just won the national championship. Oh, man. I got to say, you know, I, I, it's funny because a couple of years ago, I actually wrote a column, including saying, like, the Tennessee should go after Tom Allen hard. I've really liked what he's done because you, like, you just laid it yeah. out there, Jack. Losing, losing his program ever. I mean, that is a hard place to have any success. Yeah. And obviously, it's kind of gone the other way on them. But, man, 
I don't think that there's a coach in college football more just jacked up about everything that happens, like to the yeah. point where it's like I feel like sometimes his teams look at him like, dude, calm down. <laughs> but hey, you know, he, he he kept the energy up on that sideline, and they somehow found a way to win. We we're talking uh, Friday, Joe, with the great Don Fisher, legendary voice of IU sports, and he was telling the story about all of the NIL money is earmarked for men's basketball. Nothing's going to football. So uh, they were trying to find some way with all of the football lettermen that they could get a million dollars over a long period of time to dispense to football players. And then they saw Ryan Day came out and said he needs $13 a year to be competitive. And they said, oh, what the hell? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, it, it's, it, it is, that is amazing stuff. <laughs> you were just up in uh, Green Bay, right? Were you up there with the Titans and the Packers? I, I was indeed. I was indeed in Green Bay. It's been a very, it's been a real slap in the face. It's a, my, the, the brittleness of my bones and inability to handle the weather. But as you know, it's cold here, but it is a different, when you're walking oh, yeah. out of Lam- oh, yeah. Lambeau Field after a yeah. night game at about yeah. 1230 a.m., and a long walk, and the media parking is now like two miles away. There, oh boy, that was a that was a doozy. But yeah, the Titans, uh, you know, pretty pretty good win. That's still a pretty good football team. Not a very exciting team, but a pretty good football team. One of the advantages of Lambeau Field, and I was there uh, a couple of years ago for a Monday night game, is that when you leave the stadium, you can go in any direction, and you're two blocks away from a watering hole. So, uh, lots of bars and taverns. Uh, around Lambeau Field. It's right in the middle of a neighborhood. I mean, it's like, yeah, know, yeah. you know, I go down the street and I just uh, play in the Lambeau parking lot. Yeah, no, it is very cool. It's a very cool setting. You know, it's like you drive through the town and you're like, this this place has an NFL team? But, yes, I mean, it's like yeah. these, it, like the houses are right next to the stadium. I wish they had bars, enough bars that you could just walk through the bars to your car <laughs> after the game. But, but, yeah, there are some good places, some good cheese curds and some good spotted cow. <laughs> Did you think that uh, uh, you saw the beginning of the end, or maybe more than that, for Aaron Rodgers? He'd just been two-time MVP, but uh, it looked like he's losing it quickly here, or uh, Tennessee and some other teams now have his number, and, and maybe he doesn't have Devontae Adams, so that doesn't help him either. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of it. I know that he has a thumb. I, I mean, I will say that there were some passes that he threw the other night that I – couldn't yeah. understand other than he's hurt because he also made a few classic Aaron Rodgers throws dropping the bucket that like no no one else can do on a regular basis but he missed some gimmies in that game that sailed him that I'm like okay something something's going on I know you know he was holding the thumb they asked him about the thumb after the game so um I think that's part of it but yeah maybe I mean look it's just not like everyone's not going mid forties like Brady and and playing at a high right. level, you know. I mean, like right. we've kind of he sort of skewed how we view the timeline for a quarterback. He's still when you get to Aaron Rodgers' age, usually you're going to start seeing some diminishing. Right, right. All right. Uh, this may be uh, a bias uh, would would be acceptable here, but uh, you can have one NFL running back. Who are you taking? Okay, see, here's the the tough part about that question is 
I have to ask back, am I, am I taking a running back to have a, an offense that features handing the ball off to the running back? Because if that's the case, then it is. I quickly say Derrick Henry. Um, You're an offensive coordinator, and you've just come into the program, and you can make it whatever you want. If you want an Austin Eckler that you throw the ball to a dozen times a game, have at it. If you want Derrick Henry, you want Joe Mixon, you want Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook, whoever you want. Kenneth Walker, you got your pick. Who do you take? I tell you what, you mentioned why I do think Kenneth Walker is going to be really good in this league. Uh, yeah. As long as he can stay healthy, he can see it. You know, I might go with like a Saquon Barkley. Like if, if you know, again, you have to consider the health, and, and that's the thing. I know Derrick Henry broke his foot last year. For the most part, he's been incredibly durable. I mean, because I, I think I probably would go with someone that I can throw the ball to a little bit more. It's obviously not Derrick Henry's strong suit. He, he's worked hard on it. He's you know he can he certainly is dangerous catching a screen. But I'd probably go with, I mean, not long ago, I would have said Alvin Kamara, you know, and I know he's kind of right, fallen off right. a little bit. It, it, it goes quickly, McCaffrey, these guys. I'd probably yeah. go that route because I want that in my offense, and that's the, you know, the difficulty. But I will say that, you know, you think about the AFC Championship round of a couple of years ago and 2,000 yards a year after that. He is, it's, it's extraordinary to watch him in the fourth quarter of games, and especially this yeah. time of year. How little people want to tackle him, and how how much he he's just physically dominant over most guys in that league, which is a total testament to to his work. I mean, he he's you know every day in the summer lifting a truck or you know running running on hot coals or whatever the heck he's doing. I mean, he's he's uh, he works exhaustively, and it shows. And you know, again, he's already he works exhaustively to add to his six three, two hundred fifty five pound body that runs a four four, you know? <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. Well we saw him against Michigan State and Spartans did about as good a job as you could do against him for three quarters. They uh, did. They, they couldn't find Calvin Ridley and uh, the yep. offense couldn't move and Connor Cook couldn't throw a ball uh, without any pain, I guess. And uh, they wound up getting blank. But uh, it's interesting to see what he has done, and, and uh, there aren't many like him, as you say. So yeah, everyone says, well, we'd like to have a guy like that. Well, good luck. Just try to find him. Joe, thanks so much for joining yes. us. Have a great trip back, and I uh, hope we can do this again. Oh, anytime. Thanks, buddy. Happy Thanksgiving to you and Rob. All right. Uh, that is uh, Joe Rexroad, and uh, we're very, very, very lucky to have him in mid-Michigan his work at the Lansing State Journal and then at uh, the Detroit Free Press and then uh, with the Athletic Athletic now after he went down to, uh, to Nashville, uh, one of the best in the business. We'll be right back, and Bob Trippi will join us, and he's one of the best in the business too as far as a numbers cruncher, database guy. Uh, he's our director of research for this show. He's got some amazing stats for you. Coming up next on The Drive with Jack. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you, right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small-town thing, but it's big-time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans. 
with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two for $38 tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game ready. Check them out at Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. That's Alumni Hall, where Spartan fans shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, they have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to DeanJobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers' four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn-out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Medawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. Jack Eblin here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. Finally, Jack, it's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River and Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member, Nick, will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or (laughs) batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. When you want Spartan gear, Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping destination. They always deliver the best and newest selection of apparel for the whole family. Nike, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus accessories, Yeti, hats, and all things Spartan. Spartan students, faculty, and military 
Enjoy 10% off in-store every day. Check them out in Lansing or at alumnihall.com to make sure you are game ready. It's Alumni Hall, where Spartan fans shop. Welcome back. It is the Drive with Jack Spotlight Radio Network. Jack Eblen here with my producer today, Rob Bennett. Rob, let's go right back out to our guest line. Very happy to welcome in Bob Trippy, longtime State of Michigan sports writer, very busy guy these days. Uh, he is also our director of research for this show, Captain Database. Bob, we have the new Associated Press rankings. Michigan State moving from 26th in the poll and uh, moving up to number 12. I see the Spartans are seventh in Seth Davis's CBS rankings. But of all the teams in the poll this week, uh, you say Michigan State is the highest-ranked team that was not in the preseason poll. Yep, that's correct. Um, you know, as far as I could tell, everybody that's uh, that's ahead of them was has been in the poll for you know the last last couple of weeks, and that's since the uh, the poll started out. So. Um, it's amazing what a couple wins can do for you, you know, especially when you get them against the likes of Kentucky and um, Villanova. It just makes you wonder, you know, if this team would have, you know, held on and ended up beating Gonzaga. I mean, where would they have put them? I, you know, realistically, I think that, you know, it would have been a little, a little too high in my mind. You know, this time of year, the polls mean absolutely nothing, as you and you and I both know. And uh, well, they really but, never mean much. I mean, no. they're just opinions, people's opinions. And Gonzaga was tagged uh, at Texas, and then came home and uh, beat Kentucky. wasn't actually at home, but it was uh, it was in Spokane in a bigger facility. So uh, yeah, who knows what it means? But for Michigan State, it's uh, it's not being twenty sixth, uh, being twelve. Uh, means a little bit and they're going to have to be all of that and more this week because they're facing an Alabama team that is very athletic and very long and I think they shot 46 threes in their last game good lord (laughs) well you know one thing about Michigan State they are playing some pretty good defense you know in, in reality so I'm not too worried about that because you and I both know that there are times where teams, you know, you think they're going to shoot the lights out and everything like that, and for whatever reason, you know, they can't hit the broad side of a barn. And, you know, you got to go out to the West Coast, which I think, you know, does affect some teams more so than others for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think Michigan State is, uh, you know, they're improving a little bit. You know, it's it's too bad that they gave up that big lead like they did, you know, against Villanova, but they held on and, and they won the game. And, you know, as they say, uh, a win is a win. And for Michigan State, I, I'm i pleasantly surprised. I'm sure Tom Izzo is present, pleasantly surprised the fact that, you know, they're sitting now at 3-1. and one, And uh, I think a lot of Michigan State fans uh, going into the start of the season – we're, we're prepared that the start of the season was going to be, you know, they might be two and two or, or one and three at this point. So um, they got to be happy, you know, with, with what they're seeing right now. 
Yeah, uh, Doug Herner, uh, who can see any glasses half empty, uh, said to Tom Izzo, yeah, you know, we could be one and three. And Tom, in a rare moment of uh, positivism, said, hey, we'd be four and oh. And, uh, you know, you're one point away. They dominated Gonzaga uh, for most of the game, led by 12 in the second half before they ran out of bigs. But you brought up a very interesting question here that I don't think many people have thought about, and it's a football-basketball question. Unless Michigan State somehow beats Penn State or there's a shortage, and they do take some 5-7 and teams, but uh, assuming a loss at Penn State would end Michigan State's season, that's a big difference for Keon Coleman if he's going to play basketball at the end of November as opposed to the first week in January. Yeah, that, that kind of crossed my mind because, you know, you look at the bench and, uh, you know, it's no knock on, on the players that are sitting on the bench, the end of the bench, but, you know, Keon Coleman, he does have some talent on, on the basketball floor. You know, in high school, we, we saw some some video of him playing, and then last year, you know, he, he was okay. I mean, you know, it's it's another body for, for Tom. Whether he's got room for him, I don't know. I haven't heard any talk whatsoever because – Obviously, with the football season still going on and that, but I would think now, you know, what's going through Keon's mind, you know, since if if indeed this is the last game of the season for the football team, um, he's going to have some spare time on his hands here, uh, you know, going forward until they start up with their winter workouts. Yeah, yeah. You know how Tom is about football. He thinks it's more important than basketball. And, uh, you know, he would rather – Michigan State win Saturday, and he never sees Keon Coleman on the basketball court if it means uh, Michigan State football can can do something positive. But if that does not happen, hey, uh, I saw the video of Keon Coleman score 60-plus in high school. I know that he's had triple doubles with more than 20 rebounds. Uh, I know what he is capable of doing, and I don't think it's a fluke. There are people who say, well, yeah, but he wasn't playing much competition. You just watch the way he moves, the way he elevates, uh, as physical as he can be going through the lane. Uh, I think he could be a very good player, and so does Izzo. But uh, that's not by playing football all the time. And given the choice, uh, it's very clear where his money is going to be made. Well, I, I kind of classify him as somewhat of a freakish athlete in a sense because – He's good. He's he's good in both. But you're right. Football is probably where he's going to make uh, you know make his meal money, so to speak, and everything. I think by the time he's done at Michigan State, barring any you know catastrophic injury or something like that, you know he's going to be something to deal with in, in the Big Ten because he's got that size. He's got the ability to catch the ball. Um, he, he creates a lot of matchup problems, and you know going forward. Um, you know, I, I really think that, you know, football is his thing. But uh, could he play basketball? Absolutely. He showed last year that he, he can go out on the floor. Granted, we didn't get him until, what, mid-January or latter part of January. And I don't think we saw him play until maybe February. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen. But, you know, I was thinking about just from the, the standpoint of, you know, it's, it's, it's another body. It's You know, you know he's a decent player and everything like that. And, you know, I'm sure Tom could use 
people like that, but we'll see. Now, Michigan State has had a lot of guys who have played multiple sports, Bob, uh, going back to uh, the Wilson, Pat Wilson, and, and on into the 60s, 70s. Brad Van Pelt, uh, you know, he's a guy who could have been drafted in three sports and uh, probably a better baseball player in some people's mind than he even was in football. He was pretty brilliant in football. But, hey, I saw him play in a lot of Big Ten basketball games. I saw him go uh, nose-to-nose with George McGinnis of Indiana in one of the most physical games I've ever seen. And uh, the entire football team turned out to cheer, and I thought one of them was going to run onto the court at one point. Uh, And then you see Andre Risen do it. He just gets back from a bowl game, and I think Izzo picked him up at the airport. And the next thing you know, he's out there playing. Uh, You see it with Matt Trannon. A lot of the guys have been able to do this, and I don't think they were as good at basketball players, except maybe Andre Risen, uh, as Keon Coleman is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Based based off off of what I had seen, you know, previously, and some of those names you just mentioned, you know, I had the opportunity to see them play too. You know, Matt Trainum was okay. You know, he was, he wasn't a star on the basketball court, but he was okay, and he got to play some games and all that. But I think Keon Coleman, he does have um, that that talent that I think that you know he could be he could he could help them out in situations, especially if you have a you know a situation where yeah. you know somebody gets injured or whatever. So right. um, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how this is going to happen because uh, you know all the cards are on the table Saturday, and he may be he may be a deciding factor uh, against. Penn State, because Penn State does give up, you know, some passing yards and everything. But, you know, Joey Porter back there um, and, you know, defensive backfield, you know, likes to cause problems for, you know, wide receivers and quarterbacks. So we'll see. All right. uh, Sticking with Michigan State football, Bob, Uh, we were sitting there in relative disbelief Saturday as a the roof caved in, and Michigan State had a 24-7 to lead. Outscored in the second half in the overtimes, 32-7. to And uh, you had a team that wins the game with seven passing yards up until the overtime period. And you did some research on the last time Michigan State played a team that uh, was that inept or uh, didn't care about passing the football. Yeah. You know, I, I was trying to figure out, you know, when, what, what was the worst that that's actually happened, you know? And it's kind of funny. You got to go back to 1971 in the season opener against Georgia Tech, and that's that's when you know Michigan State ended up losing the game yeah. and gave up zero yards of passing. Yeah. So, it was actually the know. second game of the year. Uh, they had it's funny because they had a ten nothing win over Illinois. And then a ten nothing loss uh, uh, in Atlanta to Georgia Tech, so they had back to back ten nothing games. But uh, how do you lose a game ten nothing for a team that doesn't complete a pass? Yeah, it, it's hard to explain that. And even you know, I took it a step further. You know, I wanted to see. You know, that's the worst case scenario we've seen. Yeah. Um, if you want to find out when, you know was the last time they had, you know, uh, the fewest in a regular season game and all that, uh, 
you know, because we had what we allowed 31 yards uh, of passing on Saturday. You have to go back to 1973. That's the last time, or uh, that's the fewest amount of yards that we have given up and lost the game. And that was in 1973 against Ohio State when they had 31 yards. But again, they had 303 yards rushing uh, that day. So you got to go back quite quite a ways in order to find a, a situation where that few of passing yards and Michigan State was on the losing end of it. It just it, it's and it's inexplainable is, is the best way to put it. You know, I, I talked with friends yesterday, uh, today, uh, some of my colleagues were saying, how the heck did you guys lose that game? I said, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's just one of those things you just can't really put a finger on. I mean, granted we couldn't stop the run, you know, that's, that's, been an Achilles heel. Uh, but they didn't know, even allow year. 300 total yards. Yeah. They gained Indiana 540 to 288. So 150 or 252 yards more uh, of offense and still managed to lose a game. Bob, uh, that game in, in uh, 73, I remember that very well at uh, Ohio State. The Buckeyes won 35 to nothing, and there was another similarity. Uh, a kick return for a touchdown. That was Neil Colsey returned a punt for a touchdown, and he was having as much fun with punt returns that day as uh, Indiana was having with kickoff returns Saturday. And when you lose a game like this, it almost always involves a special teams breakdown. Yeah, and, and, and you know, we saw it. We actually saw it with not being able to make a close field goal you know it could have you know yeah. Ben Pat could have nailed that field goal at the end of regulation yeah. and we wouldn't even be talking about the fact right. that you know they they lost the game but uh this is again been an ongoing issue not only this year uh you know last year at the end of last year you know we had the same problem where yeah. we're not getting the consistency out of the kicking game and right. that's that's a huge issue even Bryce Berenger you know he comes into the into the game, leading the nation with 50 yards a punt. And granted, there was some wind going on, but I, I believe he only averaged like 30 yards a punt. So um, yeah. it just you just look at the numbers. Michigan State dominated in almost every category. And then you know one thing that really caught my eye this afternoon was when I was looking at at the numbers again. Third down conversions. Michigan State was nine of 18. Okay, 50 percent. Yeah. Indiana, Indiana was three of twelve. How do you lose a game to a, to a team that only converts three third downs? How? <laughs> you know, and, and then you know you, it goes even further than that. You get into the red zone. Michigan State was four of seven in the red zone, and Indiana was two of three. So you know, it, it's how do you explain it? You, you just can't explain it. But this team. Is you know, and I and I know today that you know Mel Tucker had talked about the fact that we just don't have depth, and um, I, I understand you know, but at the same time, that Indiana team was not a very good team. I mean, this is a team that came in here has won one of its last sixteen Big Ten games over the last two years. They were one in right. sixteen, and. Yeah. They came in and they won the game. You know they had the, the worst rushing off uh, defense in the Big Ten, yeah. and you know we got some decent yardage out of Berger and, yeah. and two hundred and forty-two uh, oh, yards. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's very For a good. Team that you, much of the year hasn't been able to get a hundred. 
But, Bob, here's one for you. And uh, knowing you, you'll probably figure this out by the commercial break. But uh, Michigan State had two 100-yard rushers and a 100-yard receiver and a quarterback who was a whisper away from 300. Uh, I don't know if a team, uh, a Michigan State team, has ever lost a game when the quarterback's thrown for 300, had a 100-yard receiver, and two 100-yard rushers in a game. If, 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 I blo- if I didn't tell you what the score was and you didn't watch the game and I gave you the stat sheet and everything, and I said, who won the game? You'd, I guarantee you, you would tell me, well, Michigan State had to have won that game because there's no possible 49 way. to 13. I, I yeah. crunched the numbers on it. 49 to 13. Incredible, isn't it? Just incredible. And then you look at the last seven possessions of, you know, the, the game. Yeah. And Indiana scored on four of their last seven possessions. Michigan State scored on one of seven. So you're not going to win games like that. I mean, when, when you have a situation, you know, go, go into like, and I'll use this as an example. Yesterday, Buffalo was playing Cleveland over in Detroit at Ford Field, which I covered. And you looked at what Buffalo, Buffalo scored on their last seven possessions. And here it was, you know, Cleveland was lucky if they scored on, you know, a couple. And when you have a team that's, you know, scoring on more possessions in the second half, there's a good chance you're probably going to end up losing the game just because, you know, you're not, you're not keeping up with them. And, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I, I can't explain it. I just honestly cannot explain it. It's frustrating, you know, to, to dive into the numbers and try to figure out, okay, where is it? Where is the problem? Last year we knew it was the pass defense that, you know, was a problem. Mm-hmm. This year we know it's the rushing defense that's a problem. Um, but it goes beyond that. It really does go beyond that. We saw balls that were thrown high. It's been an ongoing problem for the last couple of weeks. You got special teams. You, you, you're not con- you don't have a high confidence level in the, in the you know, place kicker, no matter who it is. Um, and then, you know, defense, it's just, you know, there are times it looks good, and then there are times where it's like, oh, yeah. my God, you know, are we well, going to learn about the They managed to make the wrong play at the wrong time. Yeah. Beat themselves with penalties. Uh, they didn't have a lot of turnovers in this game, and that's another way to blow a big lead. But they only had one. It was costly. It was an interception that set up a score. But it's not like they gagged the ball away four times in the second half. But one of the things was the defense didn't make any plays either. And no takeaways in this game. And I think you find that teams that win games like this, they usually have a fumble recovery and a couple of interceptions. Well, I'll tell you. You know, I I went into the Indiana postgame press conference. The one thing Tom Allen said, they asked him, you know, about, you know, was the game plan – you know, to center on the rushing game and all that. And he says, you know, coming in, we knew that, you know, that was one of their weaknesses. And we knew by having the quarterback, you know, run, you know, that, you know, we'd be able to get some yardage. And sure enough, with Dexter Williams making his first career start, there were times there that he took off. You know, he just took off with the ball. You know, there there was nobody home to watch him. And um, we've seen that in a couple games. The last few weeks, where the quarterback is is burned, Michigan State, you know, with yeah. with some yardage, and you know, these are quarterbacks that really aren't known for getting, you know, major yardage. So, um, well, he's a very good runner. I mean, oh, he has not been their primary quarterback, but 
here's part of the misconception in this, Bob. After the game, I asked Ricardo Cooney, who was talking about uh, how the defense couldn't make any stops, I said, how many yards do you think Indiana got? And he said, oh, 400 and something. I said, try less than 300. He said, well, you know, the quarterback, they couldn't stop him at all. Do you know how many yards Williams got for Indiana rushing the ball? Dexter Williams, guess well, how many? 86. 86. Yeah, 86. Yeah. Michigan State had two running backs with more than that. So it right. wasn't a matter of a, a statistical onslaught. It's just he had well, a couple of big plays. He had a touchdown run. They made the most of their opportunities. Uh, you know, you had uh, uh, Sean Shivers. He gets loose, 79 yards. So Indiana had to have about 10 things go right to win wow. that game. And, you know, Michigan State's had games like this, too. As I was reminding Darian Harris last night on Press Pass, the 2015 Cotton Bowl at the end of the 2014 season, Michigan State is so far behind that some of the best Spartan fans I know turned the game off. And in the fourth quarter, Michigan State overcomes a 20-point deficit and wins that game. And everything that possibly could go wrong for Baylor that day did, including a block field goal, uh, you know, just crazy stuff. And uh, that's that's what this was in Spartan Stadium. Yeah, and, and you know, going back to uh, Dexter Williams' uh, yardage and that, realistically, he ran for 113 yards. But when you add in some of the losses and all that from sacks and all that, he lost 27 yards. So, you know, realistically, if you take out some of that, they had 295 yards rushing. They had 38 yeah. yards in, in losses. Um, but but that's, not, that's not the reason Michigan State lost. I mean, Michigan State yeah. lost because of the fact that they couldn't convert when they needed to convert. I mean, they couldn't right. do a field goal. They couldn't convert on fourth uh, down again. Basically and, an extra point, except uh, Elijah Collins, and he admitted it, uh, he had a blunder. It was a, a run to the right to set up a kick in the middle of the hash marks. Okay, it was That's what the play was designed to do. And he saw penetration coming through the line, and he should be used to that by now at Michigan State. But he said, well, I can break this to the left, and I can score. Well, he didn't score, and that set up a very tough angle. But you know what? You could have put that ball on the goal line, one inch from the goal line, right in the middle, and I still don't think Ben Patton would have made it. That kick looked like one of the kicks you see when they bring the guy out of the crowd at the end of the third quarter. Right, right. Well, I've gotten the question today, and I don't know if you've had the same question. Um, I was asked, is this the worst loss that Mel Tucker uh, has had at Michigan State? And I said, well, I don't know if I'd call it the worst loss. You know, the most disappointing loss, maybe, because this is a game that, really, they should have won. You know, realistically, they should have won this game. They had a 17-point lead uh, in, the se- in the second half. Um, they just didn't expect it. You know, it, it wasn't like, you know, all of a sudden they found their groove and here they go. You know, here's the juggernaut Hoosiers, and um, it's it's just disappointing. It's it's got to be disappointing, frustrating, whatever you want to call it. It's it's a loss that should not be there on the books, but it is now. And 
uh, reminded me a lot of what happened, if you recall, back in 2019 against Illinois. We had, what was it, a 24-point lead, I think it was, on Illinois, and they came back and beat us. And who who got the winning touchdown? Daniel Barker in the end yeah. zone, you know, who's now our tight end. And Very uh, similar game, actually, Bob. Uh, you walked out of the stadium that day, and this was supposed to be the coronation for Mark D'Antonio. He was going to break Duffy Doherty's record that day. I mean, they had balloons. They had a big show. This was going to be a post-game tribute, and it never happened because uh, somehow, some way, uh, the script got ripped, and uh, there's Daniel Barker taking in that touchdown pass the last play of the game. I remember it as clear as day. We were all stunned. It's like, is this really going to happen? <laughs> and it did. So, yeah, it's, um, well, you know, they're going to Penn State. We've seen we've seen crazy things happen over there. I, I thought I saw a stat today that they've won four of the last six in Happy Valley. Is that correct? I uh, yes, they have. That's yeah, right. yeah. So I mean, you know, with, and a couple of upsets too. Yeah, or yeah. Felton Davis the third catching that pass from Brian Lewerke and uh, making a, a lot of very cold fans even colder. Yeah, because I remember a time they were ranked eighth in the country, and we weren't even ranked, and we went in there and ended up winning. So um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what type of, you know, effort they put out there. I mean, Mel talked today about the fact that, you know, they were they were focused. They know the, you know, the work at hand that needs to be done this week. And if, if not, well, guess what? You'll be cleaning up your locker, you know. And then, you know, I thought the very interesting thing that he said today in the press conference was, and, and I don't remember who asked the question was about, uh, you know, the roster and everything like that, that they're, you know, sitting down trying to figure out the roster for next year about who's coming back, who's not coming back, and who do you want back, you know? I guess we're going to find that out, you know, in, in due time here because I yeah. think in a couple of weeks it's early signing period, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, yeah. yeah. about a month, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you think about uh, your weekend – uh, you were a pretty busy guy. Now you got the Buffalo Cleveland game been relocated to Ford Field. What was that experience like to look down there and see the Bills logo at the center of the field and Bills in the end zones? Well, it wasn't. Is they left the Lions thing. They kind of like faded it out and everything, so it was still there. Oh, really? But but they ended up having like uh, the announcements were all geared you know, to Buffalo type of things, you know, businesses and that. They had the, oh. the shout song that they use, uh, you know, at Highmark Stadium. Uh, you know, and there was a lot of chance of let's go Buffalo. And, of course, the, the, the Browns fans, there were some Browns fans that were there, you know, a decent yeah, amount of them. Yeah. And they had their chant where they, you know, started barking and all that. So I was, saw the Bills in the end zone. Didn't they have the Bills end zones rolled in there? No, no, no. It said Lions. It said Lions on the end. It was kind of faded out and everything. I thought that they would do that, but I was told they didn't have enough time because they had um, some type of activity fundraiser, I guess, Friday night, and they couldn't end up uh, getting in there to put down the Bills logo and all that. So, But the interesting thing was, uh, when talking okay. to one of the, the Bills PR people, they took the visitor's side, on purpose because they wanted everything to be like it is going to be this Thursday when they play the Lions and all that. They took the visitors' locker room and they, they left their equipment there. So their equipment is sitting in Ford Field, 
and uh, that way they don't have to like bring it back again and everything. So um, went went along pretty good. They uh, the players made it to practice today, and uh, where are they practicing? They're practicing back in Buffalo, in, in Orchard Park, New York, where there's okay. where right where right now there's 84 inches of snow. So they made it back, and they can yeah. practice there, and then yeah. they'll be able to fly out on Wednesday. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's no snow in the forecast for the next couple of days, so you know it's just a matter of cleanup over there. You know, talking to my cousins in Hamburg, New York, they had 77 inches of snow on the ground by Saturday morning at 7:30 a.m. 77 inches, Jack. Imagine that. Wow. You, you can't. I've I've got pictures that that she sent over, and I. I said, I, how do you get out of your house? She says, you can't go out the door. If we have an emergency, we've got to open up the windows and, and climb out the windows. Uh, I've never seen anything like that. It's just unbelievable. And for them to be able to get here, and, and one of the interesting stories I heard talking to uh, one of the Bills people, they're telling me that people in the neighborhoods where the players were, they went, instead of digging out their driveway, they went to the players and they dug out the players' driveway so that the players could actually end up getting, you know, over wow. to where they needed to go. Oh, yeah, there's there's some interesting stories, and there's actually videos online showing this. of, of right. You know, Buffalo's called the city of good neighbors, and I, I'm just amazed, just amazed, Jack, of, of how well, it Well, I guess it shows you uh, how good a player you are. Uh, if you're Josh Allen, uh, you do your driveway first. If you're some guy that doesn't know if they, they want to cut or not, you may not get it, it shoveled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Hey, Bob, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Okay, have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too. Uh, I know he will uh, down at Ford Field. We'll be right back. Cynthia Freeland is going to join us. And uh, looking forward to that from the NFL Network. And uh, uh, she did Buffalo Bills games in the preseason. We'll talk to her about the Bills and her beloved Detroit Lions. Coming up next on The Drive with Jack. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you. Right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small town thing, but it's big time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter & Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two-for-38-dollar tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game-ready. Check them out in Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. That's Alumni Hall. Or Spartan Van Shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, They have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. 
That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to DeanJobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers' four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn-out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Medawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. Jack Evelyn here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. Finally, Jack. It's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River in Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member, Nick, will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or (laughs) batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. Welcome back. It is The Drive with Jack, the Spotlight Radio Network. Jack Eblin here with my producer, Rob Bennett. Rob, let's go back to our guest line. Very happy to welcome in Cynthia Freeland. She is the pride of Okemos, and she is an analytics expert for NFL Network. She had preseason games for the Buffalo Bills and, of course, the Detroit Lions, her favorite team since childhood, and those two teams will meet Thursday, uh, talking about 12.30 kickoff on CBS from Ford Field. Cynthia, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Good. Uh, First of all, let's uh, deal with the most important thing first. How does it feel to be a puppy parent, and how is Gordy? Gordy is great. He's so cute. I can't even, like the thought that somebody put him in a kill shelter is like it's like it brings tears to my eyes. So he found me. That sounds very cheesy, but it is so true. And actually, my my crew at the NFL Network has been so sweet because I'm obviously crazy about the dog and like show them pictures. And we've had some early mornings with the international series games 
So we were doing, we were like, you know, I was talking about Gordy and they bought him this incredible, you know, Detroit Red Wings, a little octopus stuffed animal because he's obviously named after Gordy Howe. So it's the cutest thing ever. I almost cried when they gave it to me on such a sap. Oh, that (laughs) is just a great looking dog. I got to tell you from the picture. Oh, he's so cute. I love him so much. All right. What's the breed here? I'm having a hard time. I don't know, since he was a rescue, we think he's like yeah. German Shepherd and Husky, maybe. I'm going to do his DNA, but I've, he's only, yeah. I've only had him for two weeks, so we, we have to go back to the other, I don't know, whatever, they, they just get the test yeah. from the, and, and yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll do his DNA, so I'll let you know. Okay. All right. Uh, talk about the DNA. What is the DNA right now for the Detroit Lions? Uh, <laughs> Three-game winning streak. Where did this come from? I mean, it's hilarious, isn't it? Like, it's so, it's it's fun. It's fun that they're winning. It's improbable in a lot of games. And obviously, you know, look like the end of the Bears game specifically, you're like, what, that could have yeah. gone either way. So, you know what? Sometimes you end up on the right side of Lady Luck, and, and I'll take it. Yeah. Well, I, I listen to all the gas that you get on Fantasy Live. Uh, Adam Rankin Company, you know, it's not like the, the Bears have won Super Bowls recently. <laughs> and, uh, you know, here are the Lions with this three-game winning streak. And I don't know how many people thought they would go into New York and uh, really pretty much dominate a surprising Giants team. But Saquon Barkley, uh, he have 20-something yards in the game yesterday, and uh, Lions were in control most of the way. Quite neutralized, in fact. I mean, I think that the Giants have such an interesting team profile this year because, you know, obviously they're missing some pieces due to injury on defense, yeah. and now they're missing more pieces in their pass-catching game with Wondell yes. Robinson going down with the torn ACL. So it's obviously Saquon and Daniel Jones and their running ability to really kind of take what's been going on this season and, and kind of explain this, their, their surprising season. But, you know, I, I think a lot of credit needs to be given to Aiden Hutchinson, who – to me, it's like you're your prohibitive favorite for the defensive rookie of the year, and yeah. it's, it's, it's been fun to watch. Who would have guessed that last year at the end of November and Michigan State beat Michigan 37-33 that we would be watching both rookie, rookies of the year? But I think chances are excellent that Kenneth Walker III, or just Ken as he wants to be known now, and Aiden Hutchinson are going to get those awards. I hope so. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I mean, watching Ken Walker the third, like just absolutely dominate has been a lot of fun. And I mean, both are kind of surprising. I mean, the Lions, look, the Lions offense is a little confusing. We'll, 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 we'll leave that there, but, and especially like trading away TJ Hawkinson. But, you yeah. know, I think that Aiden Hutchinson is a real bright spot in this team, even when they weren't winning. So right. that's been cool. And watching Ken Walker on another very surprising team ahead of the season, myself and many, many others did not have the Seahawks kind of controlling their destiny in the in the NFC West like this and being a play right. a, a playoff team. So it's been very fun to watch. There were some strange games yesterday. I I thought that uh, Dallas had a shot against Minnesota, but I certainly didn't see that one coming. Was it 40-3? to three? <laughs> and, uh, and you look at the game, and just when you think you have Kansas City beat, you better not leave too much time on the clock. I mean, I was at that game, and I can tell you firsthand, 
it never felt like the Chargers were going to win. I, I, I the really? something in the air there, like the you're like, oh, you've yeah. got 90 seconds. What on earth are you doing? Like you need to slow yeah. the clock down, run the air out of the football so that they can not give Patrick Mahomes any time. And then you just saw Travis Kelsey, and you just kind of, I don't know, for whatever reason, you know, Patrick Mahomes said like it was never in doubt. And I will tell you, the Chargers fans in there, and there were tons of Chiefs fans. I don't feel like they thought it was in doubt either. Wow, uh, Travis Kelsey is one of those players, Cynthia. You say, okay, now that's not fair. He shouldn't be able to do that. But he lines up there. He gets a mismatch. Uh, you can't put someone physical on him because uh, you know he can't stay with them. And if you put someone out there who can match him stride for stride, then uh, he's just not, he's going to have the ball wrestled away. So, uh, and Mahomes knows that, uh, you know, you had your Sky Moore catches last night. I thought about you uh, <laughs> when he was doing big things. You kind of forecast that he was going to make a major contribution, and it's just starting to happen. But would you say now that the Chiefs or the Buffalo Bills are the best team in the AFC? Hard to argue that the Chiefs are not the best team in the entire AFC because, number one, and I know head-to-head that the Bills have the win, but number one, the Bills' defense, specifically their secondary, is still not even really close to full force. Like, where is Tredavious White? Is he coming back? Like, what's going on with that, right? right? It seems right. a little bit confusing. And second, they have some young players that can get duped, and we've just seen so many injuries to that secondary that's usually this, like, Huge, strong suit, and Micah hides out for the rest of the season. Jordan Poyer has been in and out of the lineup. He played yesterday, but who knows because he's been kind of off and on sort of all season. You see, you know, the the starting corners, we've seen a lot of injuries to them. So as good as that front is, it's not backed up with the same kind of horsepower that we're used to from the Bills, and that's a big deal, especially because the Bills tend to jump out to leads, which means teams will throw against them, which means they're actually playing into – the area of their defense that is not the strongest. So it's an interesting dynamic there to see how that works or doesn't work. And it's really causing a lot of turnovers with Josh Allen, potentially people are saying, I see trying to do too much. Well, the reality is, is they always ask him to do too much. And this year, the penalties and the not penalties rather, but the turnovers have been more of a penalty against them because of the fact that the defense can't stop the pass. How surprised would you be Cynthia? If it were not the Chiefs and the Bills in the AFC championship game, and if that is the case, then who might be the party crasher? I think that the Ravens could, I mean, they looked not so great yesterday, but the Ravens or maybe even the Dolphins could be party crashers. I mean, right now the Dolphins are number one in the AFC East, and they get to play in week 15. They play the Bills again. That figures to probably be for all of the AFC East marbles. But I don't know because, you know, that's been such an interesting division in general. I mean, the Jets could have been in first place yesterday, which is wild to think because if you watch that game, it was so strange. Their quarterback play was quite strange. So, you know, it's interesting to see how that plays out. But there's something about this Ravens team that has, like, an improving defense. They went out, they get Roquan Smith, which was something that they were missing. So they're not going to be able to stop the – or they're not going to be able to run against them very easily. And now you've got – Okay, the game looked weird yesterday. That was a, not a not not like a very strong Ravens game, but they pulled it together after their bye. I I just watched this. I watched this team, and I'm like, that team could beat 
the Chiefs or the Bills on any given Sunday. Now, if they played 10 times, I don't think that they would have the, the stronger record, but you don't play 10 times. You just need to play and beat them once. All right. What about the NFC? Uh, we saw Minnesota exposed yesterday. Uh, the Eagles the best in the NFC, and uh, who would you expect to be their opponent, if so, in the uh, NFC championship game? I feel like we're right about to see this whole thing happen with Kyle Shanahan, and I think it starts tonight, where Kyle Shanahan just absolutely turns up the heat, and we see this secondary, like, not be – because my problem with the the Niners, their secondary has been banged up and not so great, but that front is so good. And I think we see the Niners kind of crest to the top of the NFC. Then I still – I think it's probably going to be, like, Niners, Bucks, obviously the Eagles, you know, based on the record and same thing with the Vikings. But, you know, I think, I think we've seen a lot of interesting play from Jalen Hurts specifically, but I think they need to figure out some things around him a little bit better because, you know, you saw, you saw that when he has a down game, then the, 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 the whole thing's not quite as great. I mean, it's a strange game against Washington two games ago for them, but, you know, even the struggles that they had against the Colts defense, it's going to be, one of those things where, for whatever reason, I just feel like we're now going to see, you know, Kyle Shanahan just emerge from his chrysalis because he's playing, you know, Colt McCoy starting tonight. So that's going to, it figures to be a win tonight. And then the Rams have looked not so great. And, you know, and the Seahawks, while I think it's been fun, I don't think that they match up anywhere near as, as well as just that defense alone for the Niners. All right. Let's come back to the Detroit Lions here. And uh, does the bubble burst on Thanksgiving, or can they do the unfathomable and stretch the streak to four games? Telling you that I love the opportunity for Amon Ross St. Brown to have just a monstrous game. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because that, I mean, look, it's, it's not, this is just a really good offense, too. I mean, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox, now yeah. the the running backs kind of not just yeah. Devin Singletary, but like the whole running back trio has just been really good. So this is going to be a situation that it's going to be tough to overcome. Like if the Lions had a good defense, like a you know a top top fifteen even top ten defense even, then I would say that there's definitely a chance because we've seen some of these deep passes just absolutely be complete and those quick strikes happen, but it feels a lot more difficult to overcome the task of slaying the Buffalo Bills dragon when your defense is and has been. And although they have been playing better, I will say that, but there's just so many different options. I mean, containing Saquon Barkley and surrendering to a few pass catchers that are not top tier pass catchers is one thing, but now you've got two of the best wide receivers in the entire league on one team, plus one of the top tight ends, plus a run game that's really was really tough. I, it's hard to see how the Lions will have enough weapons. Now, now some uncharacteristic tur- – well, I guess they're not even uncharacteristic, but some unfortunate turnovers by the Bills could lead to that. But I, I right. just feel very difficult with this defense. We think about Buffalo being such a high-scoring outfit, I guess second only to Kansas City, but 281 points, but that's exceeded by the Lions' defense, which has allowed 282 points. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just a hard matchup for it's just a hard matchup for the Lions. I mean, this is this is a 
this is a, a very, very good off, a very good offense. Not just a good one, a very good one. Uh, have, are they officially calling this the Cynthia Freeland Bowl since you it covered does. Buffalo and you've grown up with the Lions your whole life? You know, it's funny because, I, like, I sit there and, you know, people, people, I, I rarely get a chance to pick for the Lions to win games just because yeah. of unfortunate whatever. So, but I, you know, I just, I want it to be a good game. <laughs> all right. Can you tell uh, our listeners who are not familiar with all of your analytics, the pregame, they, they see you on NFL Network on game day and all the other appearances you make, but uh, the game theory projections and uh, when will they get their hands on those? I assume that you've got some of those done by now, right? We're getting there. Um, they'll be out <laughs> tomorrow. They'll be okay. out tomorrow, and it'll be fun. And basically, you know what? What it is is it's taking using analytics, the same analytics that teams use, the same analytics that you know a lot of uh, like well well known entities use, so that and to try to apply them kind of individually for each team, each player, each matchup, each situation, to try to get to kind of better better approximations of what will happen or what should happen given the profiles and players that we've seen. So we should, they'll be out tomorrow. And also there's some really fun NFL plus now has some game previews and we do, you know, game theory, game previews. It's, it is behind a paywall, but if you have, you know, become a subscriber to NFL plus, then you'll be able to see them. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty excited for the ones for the lions. Cause there's some cool numbers. And like I said, I'm on Ross St. Brown forecast to have a big, a big game. Uh, you, you just made my fantasy team very happy. So, uh, that that's good news about Amon Ra. Cynthia, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. I hope at some point we can get you back on our Press Pass television show. The appearance you made, ratings went way up. People said, uh, uh, we can watch Cynthia. We don't have to look at Rico Beard. This is a win-win. <laughs> hey, listen, I, you know I'm always happy to come on whenever. I miss home. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for having me. Please, like, you know, have some extra fun at Dusty's because, you know, that's my, like, second home there. There you go. Cynthia Freeland. We will be right back, and we're going to talk with Jim Gum, G-U-M-M, from the Blitz newsletter. has some amazing statistics from the weekend and looking ahead to the final week of the college football regular season. And then we might have an MSU hockey coach with us, Uh, depending on what practice lets out. That's the only caveat here. But uh, the plan is that that might be working at about 545. We'll be right back on The Drive with Jack. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you, right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small-town thing, but it's big-time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. When you want Spartan gear, Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping destination. They always deliver the best and newest selection of apparel for the whole family. Nike, Cutter & Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus accessories, Yeti, hats, and all things Spartan. Spartan students, faculty, and military 
Enjoy 10% off in-store every day. Check them out in Lansing or at alumnihall.com to make sure you are game ready. It's Alumni Hall, where Spartan fans shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, they have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to DeanJobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers' four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn-out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Medawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. Jack Eblin here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. Finally, Jack. It's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River in Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member, Nick, will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or <laughs> batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two for $38 tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game ready. Check them out in Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. That's Alumni Hall. Or Spartan Band Shop.
back. It is the Drive with Jack Spotlight Radio Network. Rob, let's go right back to our guest line. Very happy to welcome in Jim Gum. He is the editor and publisher of The Blitz. As I often say, it is uh, your automatic lunch. You want to win a bet? Uh, that's how you do it. You just get a hold of The Blitz newsletter, and uh, you'll make a lot more than you would ever lose. Let me just tell you that. Jim, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, you're in Tennessee. Are people still jumping off embankments and bridges and things? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, amazing. Uh, a far lack of uh, uh, flags flying off of cars today. Uh, not nearly as many as there were a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah, this, uh, people wear their emotions on their sleeves around here, just like they do anywhere. But uh, yeah. it's a, it was a very, very depressing uh, Sunday in, in the volunteer state after their uh, embarrassing performance in Columbia, South Carolina. Well, it's one thing when you lose a big game, and uh, you kind of see it coming. You can at least brace yourself for the opportunity. I don't know that many Vols fans who thought they were going to have it handed to them by a team that had scored a total of 16 points in its uh, last two wins. Can you talk about the enormity of this upset? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people just can't fathom how this happened. I mean, like you said, the uh, South Carolina offensively had been just so inept uh, leading up to this game in Tennessee, you know, hadn't really been stopped by anybody. And, uh, but defensively, you know, everyone knew that was Tennessee's Achilles heel was their lack of, uh, you know, defense, if you will, especially on the back end. Uh, but, boy, uh, you know, Spencer Rattler, you remember last year he was a Heisman candidate at Oklahoma, and, and then a lot of people had high hopes for him when he went to Columbia, and he just hadn't performed worth a darn all season long. And then all of a sudden, he looked like a Heisman candidate again. He looked the part, and uh, he he just shredded this Tennessee defense. And it just looked like that they were just much more prepared. And uh, you got to hand it to you know Coach Beamer. He had the the Gamecocks ready, and uh, from the belt from the from the get go, and they dominated this game from start to finish. Tennessee was a twenty two and a half point favorite, lost by twenty five. So that is a swing of 47 and a half points between uh, the Vegas projection and the final score. And where does that rank all time? Yeah, it's the third when it comes to uh, what Las Vegas, uh, you know, what their projection was. Um, it's only the, it's the third largest uh, by teams that were favored by 21 or more points. Only two were larger than that. Arizona State lost by 28 as a 25-point favorite over New Mexico State in 2005. And then uh, in your neck of the woods, uh, Bowling Green lost by 31 as a 25-point favorite over Western Whoa. Michigan. So, yeah, just uh, listen, it's one thing to get beat as a huge favorite. It's another thing to get blown out as a huge favorite, and that's what happened. What isn't often that you see an unranked team put 63 on the board against a top five team. Uh, how unusual is that? What's well, the most ever <laughs> in the Associated Press era uh, since 1936? It's the most points ever put on by an unranked team over a team ranked in the top five. So, yeah, you know, we witnessed history. 
uh, on Tennessee's part in the negative way, and it's the most points scored by any opponent by the uh, against the Vols since 1893. So, you know, not only was it an unusual situation uh, for any team against the top five, it's uh, in over 120 years the most points against uh, the Volunteers. And we saw Ole Miss get it handed to them uh, by Arkansas in Fayetteville. And Raheem Sanders uh, did some uh, unprecedented things. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, he's the second Arkansas player in the last 25 years to have 200 yards rushing and three touchdowns against a ranked opponent. Uh, And you know what's so funny is that, uh, and Darren McFadden did the same thing back in 2007, is that Ole Miss, if you look what they did offensively, they were moving the ball. They put up a ton of yards against Arkansas. They just couldn't put points on the board. It was really amazing when you look at the, the box score and you look at how many yards Ole Miss had. You would have thought this would have been a game that you know, both teams would have been in the uh, 40s. But, man, Ole Miss, you know, they were going up and down the field, but they just weren't putting any points on the board. But, yeah, so it's a great uh, great day for Raheem uh, Sanders for sure. What was the total offense for Ole Miss in that game? It was 700, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, 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 upwards of 700. I can't, I can't remember. I know it was in the upper 600s, maybe in the 700s. Now I have to look at the yeah. box score again. But, uh, yeah, they absolutely just, uh, like I said, they just uh, bogged down or, you know, turned the ball over. But, I mean, it's not like Arkansas was holding them back. They were just yeah. dominating that game uh, up and down the field, but they just couldn't put anything on the scoreboard. I thought one of the funniest tweets I've ever seen was from a Tennessee fan. And uh, he was ripping Michigan and really ripping TCU for the team's close games and walk-off field goal wins. And uh, that didn't age very well. Might have have wanted to hold on to that one a while. Uh, A lot of tweets were uh, uh, premature, if you will, uh, this past weekend. But that happens every week, Jack. I'll see these people dogging other teams. Oh, you guys are bums. We'd kill you. And then they go out there and get slaughtered by their opponent. So, listen – it's best to just lay low and let things play out. And then if you want to brag about it, do it at, at night after everyone's gone to sleep because chances <laughs> are you're going to regret that tweet. I've seen it happen hundreds and hundreds of times. TCU uh, now 11-0, and Jim, after that fast field goal by Griffin Kell, a 40-yarder as time expired. But uh, they were 13-0. and uh, 12 years ago, right? I remember they had a Rose Bowl appearance. Right, and uh, they finished 13 and 0, and they, you know, upset what upset Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, and in a really, really exciting football game. I remember that game was just down to the, you know, at the end it was a very, very exciting football game. But yeah, so you know, TCU's done this, but it's the first time TCU's done it in as a member of a Power Five conference. In, in a long, long time, because if you remember when the Southwest Conference broke up, TCU was basically they were wandering around and they were in seemed like a different conference every five years. And finally, they end up in the Big Twelve, and it's taken them a while, but uh, the Horn Frogs have uh, you know arrived. And uh, listen, I'm I'm not going to bet it against these guys. They 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 you know have proven me wrong week in that week in and week out. And so uh, you know kudos kudos to them as to finding a way to win each and every Saturday. Well, it was 2014, Jim, the first year of the college football playoff, 
and it was TCU and Baylor. And everyone's debating which one is going to get in, and here they are. They're both right on the cusp. And then suddenly Ohio State blows out Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, and neither one of those teams got in. Yeah, that 59 to nothing win that Ohio State had against Wisconsin, it literally you had to have a game like that. And, uh, you know, if it had been 40 to nothing, I don't think Ohio State gets in. But 59 to nothing, they dominated that game from start to finish, and the select committee moved up the Buckeyes from what I think they were six, and they went up to number four, and then they beat Alabama, uh, they beat Oregon to win a national championship. So, yeah, Ohio State took advantage of playing in that conference championship game. And uh, if you remember, the Big 12 did not have a conference champ- conference right. championship game. They were sitting at home, you know, out of sight, out of mind, if you will, and uh, really cost both of those programs. And, you know, you wonder would either one of those teams have had the success that Ohio State did, but we'll never know now. If the Big 12 had just said, okay, uh, we're going to let TCU and Baylor play and settle this, then the winner probably would have gotten in because they would have gotten that extra uh, data point. Right. Uh, instead, Ohio State gets in, and uh, some people said that this was Wisconsin's revenge uh, to TCU after being beaten in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, well, we'll show you, and we're going to lie down. You know, that isn't what happened, but no, a lot of no, people no. just speculating, that, you know, hey, how does a team go undefeated like that? And uh, and doesn't get in. But uh, what about Blake Corum here now? He is injured, but looks like he's going to be okay to play. And if I had the Michigan offensive line in front of me, I'd be okay to play too. Yeah, well, I saw him delivering turkeys today. So uh, that that's a good sign uh, for Michigan yeah. fans out there. Yeah, but uh, listen, this guy, for the 18th time, he uh, scored a touchdown, and he's a uh, first player in Michigan program history to score a touchdown in 11 different games in one season. Of course, now, it's not like Michigan has played 11 or 12 games in a season forever. You know, the 11th game was added, what, 1973 or something like that, and then uh, now they're playing 12 regular season games. So uh, it's not like the the, the, the you know, fielding Yost guys could have had that, that opportunity. But, no, it's a, a great right. – you would think that with all the running backs that Michigan's produced over the years – that one of them would have done this by now, but uh, no, he's the first one. Yeah. be real interesting to see what happens Saturday in Columbus. Uh, Jim, do you know it's been 22 years and eight days since uh, Michigan won uh, in the horseshoe? And uh, I had a guy who was looking this up. I haven't done it yet, but I will if I don't hear from him. Uh, what percent of the Michigan roster was not born? Uh, maybe a few embryos. Uh, the last time that the Wolverines got a win in Columbus. That is a, that's an incredible, I never thought about it like that. Of course, we all know that the Michigan, uh, you know, beat Ohio State last year. And, uh, and that was for, you know, that was the first one that, uh, Jim Harbaugh got. He's now one and five. Uh, and, but what's interesting, you know, is that, uh, you know, Ryan Day's been the head coach at Ohio State since 2019. And this is his first game against Michigan in the horseshoe. As a head coach, because you remember in 2020, uh, the game was canceled because uh, Michigan had a COVID outbreak. And uh, so, you know, Ron Day has never coached against the Wolverines at Ohio Stadium. So a lot of firsts. But, you know, it's been a long time since Michigan has won in Columbus. Uh, so, it, uh, listen, 
eleven and zero versus eleven and zero. I mean, you can't ask for anything better than this. Yeah, I think uh, the last two games that uh, Urban Meyer coached against Michigan, they put up one hundred and eighteen points. Uh, was sixty two and then fifty six. So uh, Ryan Day's got some work to do if he wants to keep up with Urban on that. Uh, when you look at uh, some of the other numbers here from this weekend, what happened to the Miami offense? Oh, my gosh. You, you talk about inept. I mean, they had nine total yards of offense in the first half. Nine. I, I saw someone break it down. They averaged like 2.3 inches uh, in that first half per play. <laughs> I mean, that was an listen. I think you got to give uh, you know them time to rebuild that program there at, at the University of Miami. But this is a far cry from those hurricane teams from the uh, '80s and the, and the early 2000s. Um, they they just don't have the players. They just don't. But you know, recruiting wise, they're they're trying to get some players there. And with the NIL money that's being thrown around, uh, you're seeing guys that are decommitting from certain programs and committing to Miami. So let's just see what they can do in the next couple of years there at the U. But, the boy, right now uh, things look pretty inept on offense there at the uh, University of Miami. Terrible, terrible uh, um, offensive display this past weekend, though. It looks, Jim, uh, as if the uh, Oklahoma offense uh, just moved to – USC and uh, the lack of defense, too, in some ways. Uh, Trojans really don't have a playoff-caliber defense, but they can score points on almost anyone. One thing the Trojans have shown is an amazing ability to ball hawk and uh, come up with interceptions, 18 interceptions now. Who's coaching the USC secondary? (laughs) I don't know. They're doing a great job. Uh, Listen, either they're doing a great job or or, um, or the quarterbacks are going up against or are not very good. But, uh, listen, I, I think USC is a – they're a dangerous team because they can score. They've got a lot of weapons on offense. Now, I am going to be very, very interested in this USC-Notre Dame game because, you know, yeah. as as bad as Notre Dame has played at point at times this year, they looked great this past Saturday. They they waxed yeah. uh, Boston College 44 nothing. So, you know, here come the uh, – um, you know the, the the fighting Irish, and you know they beat uh, uh, Clemson pretty handily. They they beat North yeah. Carolina, so they beat the two teams in the ACC championship game. And you know maybe Notre Dame can be a, a thorn in the side of the Trojans once again. But uh, it's a uh, I'm telling you that that's a heck of a stat there. But 18 interceptions uh, thus far in 20 you know since uh, um, in, in this year, most since uh, 2012. But uh, it's going to be a great game. I can't wait to watch this uh, USC Notre Dame game though. I want to ask you the question, Jim, that I asked Joe Rexroad at the top of the show. Uh, who do you want to see in the college football playoff? Who do I want to see? Yeah. I, I want, I want to see. make the best playoff? I think, uh, I think Georgia, Ohio State, Southern California. After that, I think Michigan's the better team than TCU, but I think if TCU wins – and they're sitting yeah. there undefeated. They deserve it. Uh, I do not think TCU's LSU with two losses. I don't think LSU. I don't think schedule. LSU deserves it with two losses. I just don't. No, no. I don't uh, and I think Clemson. Clemson could be a team that they really look good. 
Listen, if they beat South Carolina, who just beat Tennessee, and they win the ACC championship game, they're sitting there with twelve and one. You know, they've got a they've got a valid uh, you know voice to yell you know, to, at the selection committee. But you know, the, the three undefeated teams, Georgia, uh, I'm assuming Ohio State beats Michigan and TCU. Those three would deserve to be in. Right, uh, I'm not so sure that Michigan can't control the ball, especially especially if the weather is bad. Uh, you put them on a fast track. I like Ohio State with that passing game. But uh, you get some inclement weather, um, Michigan can be a very tough team to beat. Uh, I just don't want to see multiple teams from a conference when you have a USC that could get left out or uh, an undefeated TCU. Uh, you know, I look at the Michigan schedule, and I can't get past that. Now, if they win – uh, the Big Ten, and they're 13 or no, God bless them, they're, they're definitely in and probably yep. the number two seed. But when Absolutely, you play yeah. the teams they played and you look at the crossover games they had, they better win out. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. You know, I, I think uh, in the Big Ten, we know they play nine conference games. The SEC plays eight. The ACC yeah. plays eight. But you can at least schedule one decent non-conference opponent. You don't have to schedule right. – uh, the, the sisters of the poor, all three. Right. Uh, but I think you should go out there and face at least one quality opponent. And listen, if that quality opponent happens to have a poor season, that's not your fault. It's kind of like Penn State. You know, they they scheduled all. Well, Auburn's having a, a, a bad year. That's not Penn State's fault. The the intent was there. I think the intent needs to be there to schedule a team that historically has been pretty good. I think that's what you need because then if you beat them, now you can say, hey, listen. You know, we beat so-and-so. Uh, they had a down year, but that's not our fault. Uh, but, no, the intent needs to be there. All right. What are you most looking forward to other than the Michigan-Ohio State game this week? Or are you just as intrigued by USC-Notre Dame as you are uh, by the battle for the Big Ten? Well, I think Ohio State-Michigan clearly is the game of the year. Uh, I think it's the the number one game in the college football season. Uh, two eleven and O teams going against each other. Um, I think this is a you know the the rivalry is so good. Listen, there's never been two teams play each other highly ranked in the history of college football than Ohio State Michigan, and you got number two versus number three once again. So it's yeah. uh, it, these teams historically have uh, uh, gone up against each other. They they battle for the Big Ten championship year in and year out, and you know, there's the rumor now that the Big Ten could eliminate divisions, and you could have years now where Ohio State, Michigan play each other last game of the year, and then turn around playing them once again a week later in the Big Ten championship game. So we'll just see how it all unfolds once USA, USC, and UCLA join. So uh, I yeah. can't wait for this Saturday. Now, that's the game of the year in my book. Yeah, and everyone says, well, you know, that might be the best way to help the Big Ten get two teams in. That might also be a way the Big Ten gets zero teams in because if they beat each other and they both have a loss, then uh, you're throwing them into a pile. And then, you, you know, when you have a loss late in the season, that means more than a loss early in the season. So I'm not sure that's the best approach, but uh, that's apparently what they want to do. We've seen the Pac-12 now is going to this where just yeah. their two best teams are going to play. Uh, doing away with the divisional concept. And who knows what divisions really represent. I mean, for the Big Ten, you've got 
uh, USC and UCLA coming in. So I know everything is a little convoluted. I guess when you got uh, uh, West Virginia in the Big 12, then I threw up my hands and I said, you know, I don't know what this geography means. It, it, it means nothing. Yeah, they've thrown it out the window. And here we all know that the, the playoffs are going to 12 teams. So even once they go to 12, uh, Ohio State and Michigan can, you know, beat each other back-to-back weekends, and they'll both get in. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, with four, yeah, you're you're eliminating each other, you know, beating each other and eliminating each other. But with 12, once we go to 12 teams, I think you can afford to lose and lose again. And, uh, yeah. Listen, the NFL has been doing it. The NFL is very, very popular. People are people aren't going nuts though because you got a team with uh, six losses making the playoffs in the NFL. So, hey, if a team makes the playoffs in college football with two or three losses, then so be it. Yeah, my thing, my thing, Jack. I'd I'd rather err on the side of too many teams getting in than err on the side of a deserving team being left out. Well, for a long time, uh, it was mythical. And there wasn't even a game. And then you had the BCS, and a lot of people didn't like that, either in philosophy or execution. And then you went from the two teams uh, to a four. At least you had a one versus two with the BCS. And then uh, you get this. So uh, the only thing I would say about the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry is that it hasn't been uh, nearly as even as people would think, uh, dating back to 1950, uh, Ohio State has a decided edge in this series. Now, that's we're not talking about what happened back in 1902. But, right. uh, you know, uh, since the second half of the 20th century, the Buckeyes have had a, a double-digit lead in the series. And in the 21st century, it's 17-3. to And if there hadn't been the COVID cancellation, Trust me, it would have been eighteen to three. So, right, uh, you know. But you I, know what, maybe, Jack? Though I still remember in the eighties and nineties, Michigan, of course, when John Cooper was the head coach at Ohio yeah. State. I mean, Michigan dominated that series, so it can swing back again. But Swings, you're right; since yeah. uh, over the last uh, seventy years or so, it's been decidedly one-sided for sure. Yeah, I, I think uh, when we talk about history, what what history is, and some people. Uh, want to go back to when they first inflated the football. Uh, other people, you know, they, they have very short attention spans. But uh, I like to think that during the uh, life of incoming freshmen, if something happened before that, then, you know, it's nice for nostalgia. You can remember it. You can tell stories at tailgates. But it really doesn't have anything to do with the, with the rivalry and what happened. You know, uh, Michigan State plays against uh, Notre Dame. They always talk about what happened in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And, uh, you know, how many people are alive who played in those games? So, right, exactly, you know, exactly. Very, very, very different place. Yeah. Jim, uh, very quickly, can you give our listeners uh, the information again on how to get the best newsletter on college football? Yeah, just uh, they can just email me, jimgum.blitz at yahoo.com. That's J-I-M-G-U-M-M dot blitz at yahoo.com. And if they email me this, uh, uh, and I'll, I'll, give, I'll send them this week's issue free. Sounds like a pretty good deal. That's uh, everyone's favorite four-letter word, F-R-E-E. <laughs> Jim, yeah. thanks so much. Hey, enjoy 
uh, the weekend, and uh, m- maybe you can uh, teach the uh, Tennessee defense now how to tighten up a little bit. All right, Jack. All right. Hey, uh, Rob, uh, we were hoping that we would get a call from uh, MSU assistant hockey coach uh, Jared DeMichael, I think, was uh, who was going to try to call us, but uh, things have gone a little bit long, as, yeah. as you might expect. Yeah, big series but, with Miami of Ohio this weekend coming up yeah. on the road. So, yeah, I'm keeping my eye on the phone here like a hawk, Jack. Do you like that idea of uh, playing a non-conference mm. series in the middle of the Big Ten schedule? I mean, yeah, the schedule is what it is, but, uh, you know. You know why they have to do it? Why do they have to do it? Because they have an uneven number of teams in the yeah, league. They, in the league, yeah. So there's Correct. always one left yeah, so, out, so and that, that team can either sit home and watch television oh, we'd rather or play. play a non-conference opponent. Hey, Michigan State's on quite the hot streak, so why not keep playing? You know what I mean? What did you think of Adam Nightingale at the press conference today? Very even keel, but he seems to be that way, and this team is that way, right? I mean, it's very even keel. Oh, yeah. it has, it, he's very focused in, tunnel vision about the game ahead, and yeah. uh, you know the team reflects that their coach, and most certainly Michigan State has done that this year. You know, I keep thinking, okay, uh, this has been a great story. Sure. Uh, I thought when they lost the first game, uh, Notre Dame, well, that was, was that was that yeah. five nothing. Yeah, that something like that, that. Second game was very telling yeah. when they came back and won yes. two to one in overtime or a shootout or whatnot. So they right. got the two points. Right. So the they full got a tie, but the extra point. point. Yeah, which was very important. And right there, that game, when you look back at the season, Jack, yeah. that could be the that turning the point, no matter what happens moving forward. And even last weekend, okay, they're playing the number six team yeah. in the nation on the road. Very difficult place to play. It's a team that's oh, sure. just beaten Michigan. And, you know, yeah. they've been right there, right up at the top. Yeah. Michigan State a point ahead of them. Uh, but after uh, they got the win Friday night with those two late goals yeah. in the last couple of minutes, I thought, you, well, uh, you know. You're they, waiting they kind to see of, how they would react, right? Yeah. I mean, this, I, I, yeah. I didn't think they would win, but I never thought they would score seven goals the next No, game. no, and and Coach Nightingale said that at the press conference, right? We don't expect to score seven goals, you know, in a game. I mean, it would be nice, but that just doesn't happen in college hockey. But, uh, again, it's the resilience of this team and the belief of this team. And, you know, I, I asked at the press conference earlier today as well, it's how is it where this team doesn't rely on one line where some – you know, yeah. teams do where the third line, the second line, you know, the, the depth of this team and being able to score, you just don't know who's going to get it, you know, throughout the each game. And that has benefited this team. The belief in the team is what has benefited the most, I think, of this success moving forward here. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about a pair of games against the number 10 rated Ohio State, yeah, and then a set against the sixth-ranked Nittany Lions. Yeah, she's about two top ten teams, four straight games, and you score twenty goals. Twenty. That's an average of five per game, and never less than three. Hey, there have been long stretches in recent years oh, you're... <laughs> where Michigan State's gone without scoring three right. Right. in a game. In a game, correct. And now you know that's the 
the low water mark here. Yeah, I mean, they're uh, they're one of the top teams in the country, never mind the Big Ten in their scoring average. So, uh, again, this is something different, and it, it's it's working. And, uh, again, it's it's not just one or two guys or one line. It's, it's throughout the lineup. Uh, can you explain the pairwise ranking system? Yeah, so it's basically strength of schedule, and what this is what is when people look at it, this is what determines you know the NCAA tournament bids. Uh, this is what everybody looks at. So they, they your strength of schedule and, and what you're doing in your conference, obviously. So it's a point system, and so right now I believe Michigan State most certainly is in the top 10. I didn't look at it today. I knew they moved up in the ranks. I think they're 10th. Yeah, and I know they moved up. They were 17th in the, you know, your polls coming out, and they and moved, up, mo- moved, yeah. moved up one. I take it back. 16th. Michigan State now is 11th. There yeah. was a game yesterday, I think, right. that dropped Michigan State a spot. It's a but- mathematical <laughs> conglomerate of how this happens. Maybe Neil Kepke would be better off uh, explaining the mathematical equations that go into yeah. it but uh, most certainly Michigan State uh, in the top 10 or as you just mentioned just underneath it but uh, looking for the top 16 uh, teams for the NCAA tournament and obviously as we get deeper into the season we'll be looking more at, at the at the pairwise uh, scenarios. If someone had told you before the season with Michigan State pick to finish last yep. again yeah and understandably so, new coach, and sure, sure. you know they hadn't shown an inclination of, of uh, scoring much. And Michigan, with all of these high draft choices <laughs> coming back, and yep. if someone had told you that Michigan State was going to be ahead of Michigan by uh, a little bit in the pairwise and by a lot in the standings, what would you have said? Crazy. I mean, get yourself checked out. You know what I mean? I mean that that's what I would say, but. Uh, Again, it's 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 pretty amazing. We've seen some pretty amazing teams. We saw the women's soccer team have a great run, you know what I'm and coming back. And we've seen now the Michigan State hockey team have this, and we'll see continues. Still a long season, as Coach Nightingale made sure to pre- emphasize in the press conference. But uh, most certainly did not see this coming. Um, but everybody in that room, uh, most certainly, you know, gave themselves more of a chance than maybe more people outside of the room. But isn't that usually the case, right? Yeah. But it's been a, yeah. it's it's been a heck of a run and uh we'll see if they can continue it. They got as uh they mentioned today at the press conference, this is going to be a a very tough schedule here coming through November. We got Michigan coming in. Um so when we get back to when they get uh, back set to, at home against to, Minnesota. Minnesota. As well, which is right. the first place team in the league, one point Correct. ahead of Michigan State, and one of the top teams in the country. So, form, right. formerly top, they're number two in, in the in the rankings. Yeah. In so, so again, it's this is uh, you know you win championships in November. We, Coach D'Antonio said that you know has said that over the years, and of course, hockey's a little bit more longer than a football season. But uh, we're going to see what uh, Michigan State if they can continue this or this uh, streak. Uh, you just hope they play well, right? And they're very competitive, and that's what you want to yeah. see. And most certainly they've been in that, I'd say, in 98% of the games that uh, they've played so far. Yeah, and I don't think this team now is all about playing well and getting moral victories. Oh, no, They want to yeah. win, sure. and they think they can win. Sure. And, hey, when you have four games like that, uh, you know, you could have swept them 
against top ten teams. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason to think, well, I hope we can keep it close. Yeah. Rob, I uh, want to thank all of our guests today. Absolutely. This is a fun show. Uh, appreciate Joe Rexroad joining us from The Athletic uh, in Nashville, but uh, back here uh, waiting to take his son Jack back to Tennessee. And, of course, uh, he did great work at the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press. And he is my co-author on uh, The Perfect Ten, story of Michigan State's incredible win over Michigan. Great book, and- by the way. Go get it if you don't have it. <laughs> I'll double your salary for that. Uh, Bob Trippy, our director of research, number one numbers cruncher, captain database. Cynthia Freeland uh, from NFL Network, analytics expert and the pride of Okemos. And Jim Gum, J-I-M-G-U-M-M dot blitz at yahoo.com. Send him an email. He'll send you the newsletter. Uh, free. You can't beat that price. We'll be back tomorrow, everyone. Have a great night.